Okay, so if you want to know how I got there, you have to know where I come from. So I um, am born and proudly raised in rural Kansas. I always have to put that caveat, rural Kansas. So uh, to give people a visual, if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, I am from the black and white part of the movie, like that stage of the movie. <laughs> That's where I'm from, where it's like, you know, there are more cows than people. You know, the closest Walmart was, you know, a 15, 20 minute drive away, all highway, you know, like dirt roads and highway. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere. The What Works team has a standing item on our weekly meeting agenda to discuss events. Events have been part of my business roadmap for years, but they never quite seem to take priority. We do run one annual event, a retreat to Whitefish, Montana with ambitious small business owners, but we'd love to run more regional meetups, live podcast recordings, and even a conference someday. I find the logistics of planning these events quite overwhelming. And at the same time, I look at the brilliant people planning great events for their businesses, people like previous guests, Lauren Caselli, Rachel Cook, Shannon Siriano-Greenwood, and Nyla Blades, and I can't help but feel like I'm missing out on something. And no, I don't think it's just FOMO. I think it's very real. So this week, as we wrap up on the road month, I wanted to look at what it takes to take your customers on the road with you. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about how growing and running a small business really works, as told by the entrepreneurs themselves. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. This week, my guest is Brooke Roberts, the founder of Brazenist, an online education and offline experience company helping goal-getters to future-proof their careers, redefine success, and live a brazen life. Brazenist is Brooke's latest venture in a line of successful businesses and a traditional career in taking people to faraway places. You'll hear how a high school trip to Europe helped her embrace the wide world beyond her rural Kansas hometown. You'll also hear how an accidental career in the study abroad space helped her launch not just one business, but two. And Brooke and I talk about her process for planning events, whether they're simple meetups or retreats in foreign countries. Plus, we talk about her non-negotiables and her past mistakes. Now, let's find out what works for Brooke Roberts. Brooke Roberts, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a very, honestly like a big honor. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I am really excited about this conversation because it is one that confounds me to this day as we've already been talking for 15 minutes for everybody who's who's tuning in now to this part, the official part of the conversation. Um, and yeah, this, like I said, this, this issue confounds me. And so I'm so grateful to be able to pick your brain um, and from the years of experience that you have hosting events all over the world. Mm -hmm. But before before we get to that part, you have done a lot of different things. You have started different businesses over the years, and I'm hoping that you can give us kind of an overview of the different ways you've been in business for yourself over the years. Yes. Okay. So I, um, I, okay. I always hate telling the story, especially since I have like new things happening where I'm like, that's the old story. But so basically, um, my entrepreneurial journey, I mean, I have this whole other career a whole other industry I won't talk about right now, but we'll get into it. But um, I started my entrepreneurial journey in a, a kind of unsuspecting place. God, I can't talk today. Um, and I got a job that I was absolutely uh, underqualified 
to do. <laughs> and I was director of study abroad at the University of South Dakota. And um, and what that means is um, I was in charge of helping the students at the school avail themselves of international experiences during their college program. And um, the kicker to that is that they had never had a study abroad office before. There was nothing. There was oh, wow. not a desk allocated for it. There was no money, like there was no budget, but they were like, eh, we got to up our game if we're going to compete with our peer institutions in that region. Um, and, you know, this is a, a, a selling point even for admissions and most institutions down. They had to put something on the docket. So I interviewed, I have I mean, I know now, like I, I help people get jobs. I'm like, at the time, I didn't understand how I got it, but I got it. And um, yeah. And so that was like my, I always tell people that was my first entree into what it means to be an entrepreneur. I had to build not only an infrastructure around international programs at the institution, but I also had to create a marketing plan. Like I had to market and sell people on this idea of what meaningful um, international experiences could do for students, the institution, for different departments, for the registrar's office, the library. I had to convince everybody on campus that this is something we need to have. And so, I mean, obviously I was getting paid by the institution. I didn't have to worry about like, oh, all the revenue in terms of paying my own bills. But for me to be successful in that role, I had to treat it like my own. I had to create my own operating budget. I had to do all the things that now I know what it takes to run a business. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. But if I extrapolate where I really sort of cut my teeth entrepreneurially, that was the experience. And then from there, I took on another role as, um, as the CEO of a, a large company in that industry and built that company up um, for the founders for several years. So I got a lot of experience there. But it wasn't until 2013 that I quit my job in a very dramatic fashion, which is a whole other story. And, uh, <laughs> you know, walked out the door, Beyonce style, snapping my fingers, kind of, and uh, started my own company. Um, and it's called Yoga Travel Tree. And the premise of that business was to connect um, yogis who love to travel with yoga teachers who are offering um, yoga retreats, yoga teacher trainings all over the world. Um, cause I, I saw, I was, I'm really into yoga. I'm in the yoga uh, space quite a bit and I was seeing that disconnect and I thought, well, my experience, uh, running uh, a platform like that and, and how to connect people with travel and all that marketing travel, all that great stuff. I thought, Oh, this is perfect. Um, meanwhile, while I was bootstrapping that business, trying to get it off the ground, um, I had this blog in the study abroad space called Inside Study Abroad, and it was um, looking at the professional the, through the professional lens of what we do as as uh, educators, as um, professionals in that space, and not from the student perspective. So you wouldn't find content like best, you know, top five study abroad mm -hmm. programs mm -hmm. in Barcelona. It was more of like um, health, you know, key health and safety strategies for programs in South Africa. Right. It's like more of like what the professional oh, wow. will be thinking about. Um, and uh, and it ended up being a lot of ranting because I have a lot of opinions about that industry. Again, whole other <laughs> conversation. Um, and people would start coming to me like cool articles. But how do I get a job like yours? And kept asking me over and over. How do I get a job? How do I get a job? How do I get a job? Because it's a very very competitive industry to get into. And um, I was like, okay. So I just started writing. Like I wrote basically two blog posts. I mean, people d don't believe me sometimes, but after like five years of even having the blog or maybe like four or five years having the blog, I finally wrote two blog posts about like how, what it means to have a career in this space and how to make mm -hmm. that happen. And it like broke the international education internet. That's a very small industry. But in our little corner of the internet, it was like, what? People's minds were blown. Like literally I got an email. I, my 
blog was on Blogger, uh, from them going, uh, we we had to put down your site. You're getting a weird amount of traffic, like all this stuff. And I was like, what? Oh my God. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, I feel like people must really need help with this. Cause I, I didn't realize that, you know, it, so many people were struggling with this process. I knew I had struggled with it, but I thought, oh, I just sucked at the process. <laughs> you know, yeah. when I first tried to get a job, I mean, I always tell the story to in that space, but you know, I had, you know, my resume was stacked. Like you, if you looked at my resume, you'd go like, this girl's obviously going to get any job she wants, you know, coming out of grad school in this industry. And it's very tailored and targeted for that space. And I applied for 75 jobs and I got exactly zero callbacks. Oh my God. And so I did what every international educator does. I left to go to China for a year. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other story. But um, when I was, you know, trying to build yoga travel tree as this like real business, serving real people, offering real products and, you know, all the things um, I was like, well, I got to make some money. And so um, I started doing coaching for people trying to get jobs in international ed through Inside Study Abroad. And um, then that turned into a group coaching program called the Global Pro Institute. And that it took on a life of its own, like kind of accidentally. I mean, it, I started to get more strategic about it later. But when I was like, oh, people will pay me real money for this. Great. Um, so and so meanwhile, I ended up building two businesses at the same time, Yoga Travel Tree and Inside Study Abroad. And then I have a third business that I it's more of like a passion project side hustle. Technically, it is a business. It is incorporated all you know the fancy things on the back end. But it's more of something where um, my co-founder and good friend, we saw a need in our space within study abroad that could solve a problem. And we, we could solve that problem with, by creating something called the Study Abroad Journal, which is a physical product. You can go look it up on Amazon. And it helps students reverse engineer the ROI of their study abroad investment. And it gets them to start thinking about, like, how do I make sure that this fifteen, this $25,000 experience that I just invested in actually is valuable to me in my job search for grad school in the future for my, like, personal life in general, things like that. So sorry if that was too much information, <laughs> but those are my three businesses and I'm, I'm transitioning um, some things right now into something new. So those will be going away, um, Yoga Travel Tree and Inside Study Abroad, but that's what I've been doing for the last almost six years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a whole new respect for what you have built over the years. Oh. I knew there was a lot there, but that's even more than I realized. So I, I I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the story. And it sounds like study abroad was something that you had found a passion for and had a lot of intention behind. Yes. Um, at from an early point in your, I guess, education, even mm -hmm. not even just your career. Why were you so passionate about study abroad? What kind of experiences did you have that made you know this is something I want to do with my life? Okay. So if you want to know how I got there, you have to know where I come from. So I um, am born and proudly raised in rural Kansas. I always have to put that caveat, rural Kansas. So uh, to give people a visual, if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, I am from the black and white part of the movie, like that stage of the movie. <laughs> That's where I'm from, where it's like Dust Bowl, Kansas. Um, I'm not from Oz, the Technicolor Dreamworld version of Wizard of Oz. So um you know, there are more cows than people, you know, the closest Walmart was, you know, a 15, 20 minute drive away, all highway, you know, like dirt roads and highway. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere. And I was also, you know, first, I ended up being a first generation college student. So I didn't, um, my family is quite agrarian, quite poor. 
Um, and so travel in general for me was always, it was just something I got to read about in books and these like these mystical lands across these crazy oceans that I couldn't even visualize really. And I'm, you know, I, I grew up in the nineties. I was born in 1981 just for everybody. So it's not like I'm this fresh new millennial, you know, like who also had the internet to like open my eyes to the world. It was there. I had the library, the public library and my library card. And so I was always quite curious about things, but it wasn't until I was in high school. And I remember it was the fall and I remember it was right before homecoming and I was sitting with all my friends and they're all chatting about their homecoming dress and the shoes and all this stuff that I actually didn't care about, but these are the the four women I've been best friends since we were in our mother's wombs, basically, because it's that tiny of a town. And uh, my uh, Spanish teacher comes in the class and she says, the French teacher and I were going to take a group of students to France and Spain, this little tour um, this summer. Uh, here's a little, you know, cheesy flyer about it. And um, I don't know, like, I, I remember that moment more than I can remember, like what I ate for dinner last night. I, I can wow. see it. I can see the room. I can see that flyer. It was beige, by the way, and it had really cheesy word clip art on it, you know, <laughs> um, of the Eiffel Tower or something. But I was like, I knew I was destined to be on that trip. The problem was like, I already worked two part time jobs to pay for my own car and gas. Like my parents didn't have like money to be like, hey, here's 1200 bucks. Go have fun, kid. It was like, uh, there's no, that money does not exist. Uh, mm -hmm. we were definitely hand to mouth, um, people. And so I did, I went home. I remember I told my mom, I want to do this. She immediately started bawling. And she says now she's cried only because she knew that that moment was going to happen at some point with me that yeah. I was going to say, I want to leave the farm. I want to leave Kansas. And, um, and she started crying and she's like, well, how are you going to make it happen? And I was like, I don't know. So I started baking things and selling them. I signed up for this like t-shirt like fundraiser thing I was selling those. I was like this horrible t-shirts. Um, and I was taking extra shifts, doing babysitting, like everything I could think of to hustle to make that 1200 bucks. And, um, it was, I, I raised about half of that through all of those efforts. Um, but I was like, how am I going to get that last little bit of money? And, um, I, I remember it was like before I had to put down the final amount, it was like a couple months away, you know, because you got to, you know, with booking all this travel is like the lead time is high like in terms of putting down your deposits and stuff. And uh, I, I was doing my homework one day in our house and, I'm, you know, and my mom comes in and she's like, we have a problem. Your grandfather has run into your car. That is my livelihood, basically, with the tractor. This like can't get more oh, no. Kansas than this. And I'm all, all I think is like, I'm going to go out there. It's like crunched under a tractor, and I'm like, all my you know European dreams are dashed. I'm never going to leave Kansas. Like very dramatic, obviously. Um, and I uh, go out, and there's just like a giant dent in the driver's side door, and it's super ugly and horrible. And if I cared like about those things, it probably would have been devastating. But I was like, Mom, it's fine. The door opens and closes. We're good. She's like, No gotta get it fixed. We gotta, you know, take it to a mechanic, make sure it's safe. She's a good mom. And so, uh, we do that. And, um, and like a week later, he's like, yeah, I mean, the door's fine. It's ugly, but it's totally safe. Nothing is damaged internally and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. She's like, we'll still report it to insurance. Right. All the thing. I don't know about this stuff. I'm like, what insurance? Like, mom, I want to use my money to go to Europe. Stop it. And so like a month later, right before I had to put my deposit down, I got a check in the mail for 900 bucks. 
Oh my God. And I used that money to send myself abroad instead of getting that door fixed. And the rest is history. So my passion for study abroad, I know that was a long story to get to the point, but it really comes from like kind of a woo-woo, almost magical place where it's like, I do believe in my hustle. I believe in my brain and my strategic thinking about how I've, you know, charted out a career in life and uh, businesses for myself. But there's also just like, there's that X factor magical element to all of this too, that really means a lot to me. And that trip is, is, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to 54 countries at this point. And that trip was the most pinnacle of my life and changed everything for me. It showed me so much about what possibilities were for me. It was my first flight ever, like any kind of flight getting on a plane. Um, And so it was just incredibly magical and, and led to everything else. And so the rest of college or rest of high school rather was all about like, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I had to have study abroad. And so like every time I'd visit a campus, it was like, tell me about the study abroad options. Tell me about how, I was like, how do I go abroad? I mean, at one point I was like, mom, why don't I just go abroad for college? And by the way, now that I know a lot about higher education in the United States and about study abroad, I'm like, that would have been the most genius thing to do actually. <laughs> um, but I didn't. And my mom was a little freaked out, but instead I went to Boston almost as far as I could get away from Kansas, like without actually going to the ocean. Um, and I went to college in Boston and I studied abroad three times, um, during undergrad. Three times? Yeah, I went, I did, by the way, I mean, if we did a whole other episode on how to study abroad, there would be a whole section on what not to do. And here's one thing not to do is don't study abroad your freshman year, your first year of college, especially as a first generation college student. There's a lot that's happening that first year intellectually, emotionally, um, identity wise for students. And I decided I was going to go to Switzerland. (laughs) So I studied abroad for six months in Switzerland. The second semester of freshman year was a rough, rough semester because I I thought, oh my God, I've been abroad for two whole weeks. I'm a pro at this. This will be easy. I totally, totally sold my advisor on like, this is totally a good idea. And she's like, sure. We don't normally let this happen, but I was like very convincing, I think. And <laughs> it, was a, it was a rough semester. Anyway, I went to uh, um, Switzerland for a semester. I went to France for a summer and I did, um, I went to London for a semester. And then during that time, actually, study abroad as an experience was, it was a passion for mine, for me personally, but it wasn't in terms of a career path. I didn't even think mm. about it as a career path. Even though I had a study abroad advisor, I went to a whole office, that an operation that did it. I didn't think about it as, oh, is this something I can do? I, what I wanted to be was I wanted to be in foreign service or CIA, mm-hmm. something along those lines. And so I studied Middle East studies and international affairs and uh, counterterrorism, basically. And uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and the rest is history. I don't want to get into any more of that. But yeah, so I I, say, I, I also did study abroad experiences through grad school and then um, found my way into the study abroad industry as a professional. And and now here we are on this podcast. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, all right, let's fast forward some here now. Mm-hmm. And I'd love yeah. to just hear about the very first in real life event that you planned for a business of yours? For a business of mine. Oh, okay, great. Because I was like, well, the first event was during grad school and that's like going Mm. way back. But my first event, in-person event I planned was with Yoga Travel Tree. Now, what happened with Yoga Travel Tree was about the first two, year and a half to two years. um, The whole goal, I wasn't, I never had in my mind that I would take my experience and knowledge planning international group travel experiences, um, that whole career, basically 15 years of doing that. I never in my mind thought I would do it 
as my own business mm-hmm. in another. I never, it never even dawned on me that I could do my own retreats, for instance, until like one day I was like, we're literally working thousands of retreats being um, promoted on Yoga Travel Tree, thousands of them, talking to thousands of yoga teachers. And I'm not kidding you. I was like a hustler to the core. Mm-hmm. I, and I, would, I was just like pounding the phones all day, calling all these yoga teachers and studios. And what I was learning is that they love this idea of doing these d- destination retreats around the world. But they had no idea how to design a meaningful group travel experience because a vacation is very different than group travel. And there's a lot that goes into it. So I was like, uh, these people don't know what they're doing. And I was looking at these experiences as an avid traveler going, I would not go on any of these trips. And I know that sounds harsh, but it it was just sort of like, it was not designed for someone who, you know, thinking about your audience first, thinking, well, if somebody's going to go to Thailand, likely once in their life, do they really want to go to a remote jungle, you know, villa or something and that's it like that's their experience and great they'll have a great yoga the practice every day maybe there's probably a beautiful pool maybe they'll take them zip lining or something kind of generic but like is that it for them and so i thought most people and and this isn't everybody and maybe some of your audience is like i try i go to thailand 20 times a year great most people don't most people go on these big trips it's a once in a lifetime experience so i said if i was going to design an experience for somebody outside of the study abroad context to go to Thailand or Bali or wherever, how would I design it so that they felt like they sort of got to drink every drop of goodness that Bali could offer in terms of a a broad spectrum experience? And so that's what I did. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put my travel planning, you know, group travel planning, um, administration, all that stuff I'd done. Let's put it to the test in a totally different space. And so the first trip was in, uh, I want to say May, 2015. Yeah. May, 2015. I was like total experimental. I didn't know if I'd do any more. I was like, I don't know. Like when you, you know, promote study abroad, you have like a captive audience of college students, mm-hmm. you know, exactly where they are. It's easy to market them. Uh, but when you, your audience could be literally any yogi in America really, or of the world, you're like, Oh, where do I go? So, um, it was, I was testing a lot of new ideas on like how you would market that and stuff. And, um, it sold out in, I think 42 days exactly. Uh, from the moment I told, you know, my audience about it and, um, I had, um, what was it? 14 people go on the trip and it was amazing. And it was a wonderful experience. I fell in love with Bali at that point and, um, ended up leading several more. And that was like the first one. And I was like, well, maybe I'm onto something here. Got it. Uh, these kind of big retreats, these big international retreats are not the only thing that the only kind of event that you have done. I've seen you, uh, in the, in the short time really that I've known you and and been kind of watching you and talking with you on Instagram. I know that you've just even led like meetups as well. Can you uh, tell us about the last meetup that you organized? Um, let's see. So I've I've done a few and they're like, they're mostly just like kind of chill and I'm like, I, I'm all, I'm totally sold on the MVP, you know, minimum mm-hmm. viable product model of everything in my life. So I'm like, oh, want to live downtown in Kansas City? What's the shortest lease I can get so I can MVP that, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, so for me, I'm like, okay, what's the, sh- the smallest thing I could do? So when I, I was traveling for a little over a year as a digital nomad, running my businesses from all over the world, well, when I, my, I grew kind of this strangely weird, lar- large-ish, I mean, it's, I'm not, 
by any means an influencer, but in Kansas City, I have a lot of followers. Okay, they like me in Kansas City, you know, and I think they see me as like this Kansas kid traveling the world, right? So uh, when I came back, it was like the first time I was like, hey, I wonder if I could actually get this community to get in the same room together. And so I hosted like a happy hour meetup and it was like a Q&A. And I was like, hey, ask all your questions about what, how do you, um, you know, build an income stream that allows you to be able to work from anywhere? How do you establish yourself in a way or, and, and even the logistics of that? How do you move to a new country every month for 16 months? What, what's that like, you know? Um, and it was great. I think I had around, I don't know, 15 or 20 people show up, which is not huge by any means, but it was a lot of fun. And for me, getting people in the same room is like a big value of mine right now. I've done a lot in the digital space, but I would say like, even in my, you know, previous career and things, the most enriching and meaningful relationships or, um, you know, even from a business point of view, the, the best, uh, collaborations and partnerships and sales and all those things all happened in person Mm -hmm. over a cocktail, you know, kind of shooting the shit, getting to know each other. And I thought, God, so much I'm seeing, even, you know, my consumption is all, you know, very digital right now. And so I'm like, ah, getting people in the same room and like, seeing facial expressions and, and shooting the shit literally (laughs) like, like it's a lot of fun and people I think are thirsty for that. And so that, um, was a more recent sort of very informal kind of, um, experience just purely based on not even about it had no business objective. There's no sales pitch at the end. It was just sort of like, let's chat about something we're all interested in. That's awesome. Um, well, like you said, I mean, I think we're all hungry for these kinds of events. I think Mm -hmm. many of us are hungry to create these kinds of events. But Mm -hmm. I know for me, and like I said, before we started officially recording, um, it is something that is literally always on my list. It is something that is always on our agenda to talk about um, as a team. And it is something that I get so overwhelmed thinking about, get so emotionally caught up in Mm -hmm. that I literally just can't get it off the ground, even though I even have people who would like plan it for me. (laughs) Right, right, um, right. So I would love for you to kind of talk us through the process of how you approach planning an event sort of from start to finish, if that's possible. Well, and I also, I have a question for you. I mean, we can come back to it, but for me, I want to know more, like, tell me more about this. Like you get emotionally like stressed, like where does, what is that, the thing in your mind that is spinning the question, you know, what's going on inside where you're like freaked about? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it comes down to our people are going to show up. Um, I mean, we've had so many false starts over the years. So we've planned so many events and so many, and you know, done so many successful events. And at the same time, the vision for them was different or the, like the, our goal attend attendance was different. And I just mm-hmm. find that getting people to decide this is something that I want to invest in. This is something that I want to take the time out for. This is something that I want to show up for mm-hmm. feels really scary and overwhelming for Mm -hmm. me. And I like, I'm, I have a good audience. There are cities I know that I can go to and say, all right, there's, I know there's at least 20 people, but I know 20 people by name here. And there's probably at least 150 more that listen to the podcast. Somebody's going to show up. And then Mm -hmm. we put something out and it's like, I don't, it doesn't work. And it's so, it's just, it's, it's yeah, a, it's a sore point for me. No, I get it. I get it. And, you know, it's it's so I, I mean, I, we talked about this before we hit record, but it's so easy for people to sort of get their credit card out 
and mm-hmm. support you and engage with you in that capacity, right? That's easy. I don't have to leave, leave my sofa to make that happen. But to then ask someone to literally move their physical body into a totally different environment, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, and the logistics and uh, an additional cost that goes with that is just like moving, you know, a sloth across the road is like, it's going to go at its own pace, yep. you know? So I, I, I can totally relate to that. And I've been in many situations where I'm like, okay, I have to make a decision tomorrow by five that I'm going to put down this $5,000 deposit and that is non refundable, you know, or whatever the amount is. And I still need five more people to make this profitable. Like I have been in that moment. So I know exactly that anxiety. You'll hear about Brooke's exact process for planning an event in just a minute. But first, a word from our WhatWorks partner. WhatWorks is brought to you by Mighty Networks. It's time to simplify your business and your life. Creating content, building a movement, and leading a community is hard work, but it doesn't have to mean hassling with a host of software services, social media platforms, and customer management systems. Mighty Networks is the simple way to bring people together, deliver high-quality content, and spread your message, all while making your business easier to run to. Mighty Networks combines key functions like building a community, online course management, content creation, networking events, and even payment processing so that you have an all-in-one platform for running your business. Now, we use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We offer a behind-the-scenes look at podcast interviews, host members-only events, help members network with each other, facilitate ongoing conversations about important topics, and collect membership fees. It's so much simpler than the collection of apps we've cobbled together before. Plus, our members love managing their benefits and membership all in one place too. Start simplifying your life and business with Mighty Networks. Get started free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. I hope you're loving on the road month here at What Works. We're diving into how small business owners build flexibility, efficiency, and time off into their businesses so they can enjoy life and travel. Next week, we're kicking off a month devoted to exploring confidence. Throughout August, we'll be sharing stories from small business owners every single weekday. They'll be sharing how they develop the confidence to level up and take the next step. We'll be exploring questions like, what happens when the next step in your plan requires you to show up in a whole new way and do things differently? What happens when the call to level up becomes louder than the call to stay safe? What happens when excitement dissolves into panic? How do you move forward? It's candid community conversation about the ways that confidence or lack thereof impacts us as entrepreneurs and how we take the next step in spite of fear or insecurity. We're featuring eight podcast episodes throughout the month on this topic, plus written essays from other contributors. To subscribe to the project so you don't miss a single story, go to explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. That's explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. Um, so let's start to going back to your question of how yeah. uh, to start from scratch. So what I do first is because it is a physical experience, you have to start with the where. And for me, I always base it on my personal desires. And I know you're in a minute, you're going to ask me about my mistakes. So I'm going to try to not talk about those things right okay. now. But my personal interests, obviously, because you're, you know, you know, just like you, you love Montana. Mm-hmm. So you, you are like, hey, I want to be in Montana. Let's do something around Montana. That's totally 
I think you need to start with your personal desires. Why, why would you start your own business if you didn't start with like the things you kind of want? But you have to also then pair that with, I then think, have to think, okay, what will my audience actually like? Right. And we'll talk about mistakes later. So, um, and then from there, sort of the next piece of the where kind of question is, um, for me, and this is based on like, a long time of planning group travel, whether domestic or international, is uh, you have to be, think about health, safety, emergency. So that's always the next litmus test. So understanding the destination I want to go to, um, you as the trip leader, and I'm, no, I'm sounding very advicey right now. I'm sorry. Me as the trip leader, I have to know like what are the de- what is the Department of State saying about this destination right now? What is the CDC saying about this destination? Uh, what's happening politically in that destination, especially you know right now, but also in a year or nine yeah. months from now when you're thinking of going, um, because you things like you know elections. To us, we might think like, who cares, right? But in some destinations around the world, that means shit is going to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may not want to be there during that time frame. Or you might want to be there because it's super interesting, right? Like it, it could go either way. But culturally, what's happening in that destination? Um, so understanding their local holidays, their local religion is going to have different things than what you might be used to back home in Kansas City, for instance. Mm-hmm. So understanding if they're going to have different priorities at different times of year, and that's going to impact, you know, what's available as a, from a tourist perspective and what's open, what's closed, um, how busy it is, how expensive that location is going to be. And then of course the emergency thing is sort of, okay, if, if the worst possible thing happened on this experience, am I prepared? What would I need to have in place to make that, um, to address that issue? And I don't want to get people freaked out, but that is very important because when you sell a, like a digital product to someone or like a cup of coffee to someone, if you own a cafe, right? It's like the, the liability and overhead of that is, is, isn't as crazy. You know, you obviously coffee could burn someone out, you know, something like that. But when you take people to a new destination anywhere in the world, domestically, internationally, like now you have a level of liability on you that is most like standard liability insurance that most people have in their business does not cover. Yeah. So for instance, that's the thing you need to be thinking about logistically. I know this sounds all weird, but no, we're like think, I, I dreaming th- about the stuff, but yeah, I don't think it yeah. sounds weird at all because during our Montana retreat last year, we take everyone to, to Glacier National Park, take mm-hmm. them up. We, uh, Glacier Park people, when we say we take them up to the top, we take them up to the, the pass, um, which is the mm-hmm. continental divide in one part of the park. And, um, we do this super easy, just really chill, incredibly popular hike, tons and tons of people up there. And they had asked me about bears ahead of time. And I said, no, you're not going to see a bear. There's like thousands of people up there. There are no bears yeah. up there. Guess what we saw? <gasps> a bear. Um, no, two bears, a mama oh. grizzly and her cub. <gasps> Only oh. like the most dangerous situation. The situation. Oh my God. <laughs> and yes. so like I have a newfound perspective on thinking about emergencies. So I really appreciate yes. you pointing that out. <laughs> Oh, yes. And and that's the thing. And, you know, you, I know you've done lots of coaching and mentoring over the course of your career. But, you know, when we talk about people like wanting to start their own business, right? And, you know, I do like visualizations of people like, okay, I know you're freaked out, but what's the actual worst thing that could happen? Worst thing can happen. Nobody buys your things. Right. You go get a job, right? Well, that's always like kind of the the litmus test. Like you'll live. But the problem with group, like in-person experiences, especially when there's like travel involved, you know, a meetup is obviously a lower risk situation. But, you know, in Montana or in Bali or um, in India or in Sri Lanka, I mean, uh, you know, very recent events are, is a clear um, understanding. Like Sri Lanka is like an up and coming destination, especially in the yoga industry. Well, 
Not so much anymore. Yeah. I'm sure that there were trips on the ground when that was happening. And I, I bet a lot of people did not think that it could ever happen. Yeah. Right. That is the worst case scenario, something horrific. And I know that I'm scaring people already. Don't be scared. Do in-person events. They're great. Um, but you do need to think about yeah. those things. Um, and that's one of those things, like when it comes to like advice culture, I'm like, I, that's the first advice. I always get people and I'm like, I will say it's advice and I'm proud of that Absolutely. advice because it's one of the things that, you know, when it comes to people's like health and safety, like you can't kind of skirt those issues. Yeah. And when we get to mistakes later, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and then, so the next layer is the experience. So um, I know where I want to go and I vetted it through all these things. Now it's about crafting, like, what is the experience? And when I, when I talk about this, it's like, I always have to ask myself, okay, with the availability of information at everybody's thumb tips, basically right now, um, you know, they don't need me to plan their trip to Bali and take them to Bali. They don't need me. They don't need you to mm -hmm. go to Montana and hike and have that beautiful hike. What they do want is something that is unique to me or my company and the mojo and theme and sort of uh, brand, right, that I put out there about what a travel experience with me and my company is like versus what a travel experiences with you and your company would be like. And that is really important. And that's kind of gets to back to like, how do you get people to like commit button seats kind of situations? Like you get stressed, like, am I going to fill the seats, right? Um, that is where the difference between a, a retreat that will sell out really quickly versus the one where you're like kind of, you know, getting really thirsty mm -hmm. at the end be like, please book with me. Right. And, um, so I always have to think about like, what's I reverse engineer it, what engineer the experience when someone hits the ground at, you know, coming home, they're coming home on their flight and they're journaling to themselves or, you know, you know writing a blog post about it, whatever they're going to be, you know, saying about the experience, what do I want them to say? And then I reverse engineer, like, how do I craft that meaningful experience? And but this also comes back to I have a philosophy about a kale brownie. And so I always am like, OK, what's the brownie they want mm -hmm. that is delicious and yummy? But then what's the kale that I can slide in there that I know as like an avid traveler and a very experienced person when it comes to like I'm an interculturalist. So like how do they actually experience Thailand or Bali or wherever we're going in a meaningful way? What kind of interventions can I create there um, that? challenge them in appropriate ways um, to get them thinking, all this stuff. So I start thinking about the experience I want them to have. Um, um, and then from there is the tease. Like, so then I have to be like, okay, I got people think they need to start associating me or my company with um, this destination and this experience. So I create basically like a teaser marketing plan while I'm working on the top level logistics, mm -hmm. because that's the thing that is most important when people are going to make that decision. I mean, the experience is great and you know what your kale brownie is, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, they got to know the dates. Can they get off work? Can they do, you know, can they make that physically happen logistically for the dates? Can they make the pricing happen? So you got to start working on like, okay, what I have like a whole budget system that I, I take people through, but you have to know like how, what kind of money do you want to make on the experience? Do you just want to break even like all these things that go into it? How much are the rooms? You know, you've done the mm -hmm. events. It's like all of those are logistics. So you got to get the dates, the price and um, the, obviously the physical location. So you have to secure an actual place for people to go to, <laughs> not just Bali in general. You have to like know where in Bali they need to show up. Um, and then is when I do like a more like launch style, like an almost like a digital mm -hmm. product mode, but it's not really because this happens way months in advance of when they actually get to 
take the thing they bought, if that right, makes sense. Totally. Like, most like digital products, right? It's like, oh, you'll have it next week or whatever the time frame is. Well, with a trip, it's like, I, I need you to buy it now so that in six months, we actually get to avail yourself of that thing. Um, so we do more of like a launch that gets it hyped up after all that teasing. And then there's an overlay process that I do that is all, doing all the back end detailed logistics stuff that is necessary. There's a lot that goes into that. But then on the top layer, what everybody sees is a more like strategic drip campaign, if you will, of promotion and, and, you know, fast action bonus. So I use like a lot of like classic tried and true mm-hmm. online marketing tactics, but I, but I create those things that are more value add to the actual experience on the ground. Um, and coming back to like, why would someone pay for this 10 day experience in Bali with me versus like getting on TripAdvisor, you know, going and just doing it all themselves, which is totally possible. All that information is there for them. So starting to like sort of needle that point of why this is particularly special um, and breaking out you know, what the, the value add, not just the features. So that's what I do. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for breaking that all down. Um, let's talk about those mistakes. Cause you, you were teasing that, like yes. there's some good ones here. Oh, so yes. what are some um, of the mistakes that you've made planning events over the years? Yeah. So, you know, specifically with yoga travel tree, um, they were already themed out, right. They were already focused on the yoga market. Um, and, but coming back to that that first step of like, where do you want to go? I was very greedy on one of the trips I planned. And I really wanted to go back to Italy. I'd gone my, mm. you know, way back when I was in college. I was there for three whole days. I literally slept on a train and then in a train station so I could save money on hostels. Like I did a total like janky backpack style. I want to redo. Like I want Italy again for me. And it's like my heritage is all Italian. So I just like, I want to go to Italy again. So I did a classic thing that I see all of my students and clients do when they're playing their retreats. It's like, I want to do this thing. So I'm going to build out this experience around it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I got just, and then I went too far with it, Tara. I just went too far, especially knowing my audience. And I was like, well, if you're going to go to Italy, you're going to eat well. And I was like, yes, we're going to eat. I'm going to make it this amazing foodie tour experience. I had so many great contacts from my study abroad career there and all these like hidden gems. I was like crafting this amazing 12 day foodie tour of Italy. And I was like, well, how do I make this fit? you know, my target market is like yogis, like they're going, they want to do some yoga every day. I'm sure they don't want to eat like pounds and pounds of bread and cheese and meat and wine and all the things, which is what this trip was going to be. And um, so, yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm going to call it Gandhi's gluttony tour. Like I went too far, too far. (laughs) And so I had this great trip and I had a lot of interest. People were like, oh, I want to, but once they dug deeper and I, you know, I was, I do calls with people to talk about it. Um, they were like, oh, so it's not like going to Tuscany in this beautiful villa. We do yoga every day and then have a bike ride and maybe do a wine tasting. Like it's very chill. It's like this is like, again, I I, I create travel experiences that are intended to be my once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't want to go sit in a villa in Tuscany. Like just do it. Just do that. I mean, a villa in Tuscany is lovely, but I wanted to do more. I want to be more expansive. And so I got exactly zero bookings for that <gasps> experience. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I do all the marketing and I have my drop dead dates. I call it a drop dead date um, for trips. I didn't lose any money on it by any means mm-hmm. until, other than like the cost of my time obviously is still money, but, um, I didn't lose any hard cold cash for that, but uh, yeah, nobody was interested because I, I didn't, 
so product market fit, that was my first mistake on that particular experience. And all the others, that was the only one that was super far out of, you know, of our mojo, of, of the branding, of what people expected from one, a yoga retreat in their mind, but also, you know, um, it was very on brand in terms of, I call them yoga adventures versus yoga retreats. Mm. Our sort of mm-hmm. our tagline was all about, we don't retreat from the world, we engage it. And um, so, you know, people already knew when they came to Yoga Travel Trader, they're going to find these very, you know, active, you move around a lot. Um, it, it's much more of an exploration versus, um mm-hmm. sort of a chill experience and yeah so that was on point but the whole gluttony gandhi thing (laughs) it was like people like that sounds cool but i think you went too far and i did so that was uh, the first mistake so product market fit know your audience know what they're going to be into or not into like for you for instance like you are you know misfit now people i think that's part of your brand for sure now, but I know that always hasn't been but you know you could if you wanted to be like well i want to hike the hardest tallest you know mountain montana when yeah. i go take people on the street but you also have to know maybe not everybody's like at that level so you know no, we fitted. are doing something like that but it's uh-huh. optional beforehand mm. <laughs> and then we'll plan Which is good. a much more chill event for the people who don't want to do that beforehand um, right as well so yeah i totally i totally feel you on that because you're mm-hmm. right there's all sorts of things i could stuff into that retreat that mm-hmm. i don't because it's not it's not what people yeah. want to do necessarily. Yeah, you're like, today's rock climbing today and tomorrow we're running a half marathon. Right. <laughs> like, you'd be like, that's not fit. You know, Gandhi's gluttony tour all over again, except the reverse. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then the next mistake I made was um, I abandoned my expertise um, on my very first retreat. Um, and and then what I mean by that is, so when I talked about like the health and safety emergency stuff, you know, that's where we, in international education, that's where we start. Mostly because we have a lot of lawyers at universities and mm-hmm. these big companies who are like, uh, we got to cover all the bases. And so it's just in our blood now. It's like, we think about those things first. Um, at liability issues, always number one on everybody's mind in that space. So I was like, you know, we've always been very rigid about these things in international ed. And this is just like people's vacations. There's no academic credit involved. And none of this like fancy stuff we didn't study abroad. So I thought, oh, I can be a little more lax on some of these things that I typically would be like, this is non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did, I didn't, I obviously vetted the destinations. I put it through that litmus test, but in terms of my expectations on the participants in study abroad, you will never meet a study, study abroad student who has not been required to purchase travel insurance. Oh. And, um, in, in, you know, in, group travel in this space, especially in the yoga industry, that was all people, if they mentioned it at all, it was sort of like not included is optional travel insurance. And I always thought that was strange, but I was like, um, it's not my company. It's not my job to like make sure they're, you know, covering their bases. Um, and so I did the same thing. I said, okay, fine, I'll make it optional. And I will never do that again. If you want to travel with me, you will buy travel insurance. It's like no brainer. Um, because, uh, exactly, you know, what, everyone fears what happened started to happen. There was a big storm. I had a group of people coming from, I can't remember exactly. I think it was Seattle or something like that. There was a big storm. They couldn't get out on time. And so their flight got delayed and, um, they had to stay in that. And because it was weather, their airline, there was no like recourse. They didn't have a lot of things. So we're spending money, extra money out of pocket. Then that once they got to Bali, because we move around and it's an adventure experience, we don't stay in the same place every day. Right. They had to like catch up to us. And it was just like this big cluster, right? Logistically, I could handle it. But from their point of view, then it was, it became this thing of like, well, um, 
you know, is yoga travel tree going to reimburse us for these additional expense? You know, all these things are like, no, that's why I said get travel insurance. They're like, well, we didn't know that's what it was for, you know? So I was like, okay, moving forward, like you, everyone, I think when you go on any experience, whether it's just for yourself and your family or um, you're organizing something for other people in travel insurance is like the best money you will spend on, on it for everyone. It is the best money you will spend. I, in my career, I have dealt with horrific situations that without travel experiences literally would have bankrupted the family, right? I've had students die abroad. It costs oh God. 50000 to $75,000 to um, repatriate a body back from almost anywhere in the world, especially if you have to cross an ocean. And, um, and a lot of that is because there's... Um, there's a lot that goes into that process. I won't belabor it, but, and then there's also just like, oh, I lost my bag level, you know, mm-hmm. of the, what that insurance. So it's repatriation, it's emergency evacuation. It's um, my bag got lost and I had to buy an extra outfit, you know, level of reimbursement, but it's super important. And like for 60 bucks, like that peace of mind. And especially if the worst possible thing could happen, you don't want to leave your loved ones with this like headache of a global like trauma emergency happening. So I, I I didn't have a global trauma emergency. It was just like literally just a logistical nightmare and kind of a, you know, a a rough conversation with, you know, my travelers about like what, you know, yoga travel tree was really responsible for all this thing. So it made it awkward. That was the worst thing that happened for me. But now it's sort of like a non-negotiable. Everyone has to send me proof of insurance before they get on the plane. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's so not expensive. Now I have never purchased it for myself, but now, you know, and, and that's the thing I have never had to use it personally, but I, I know I purchased a plan that covered me globally while I was traveling, you know, uh as a digital nomad, because I just knew like, you know, the, the word, that's the thing is like, it sucks if you don't have to use it and you're like, ah, that was my 60 bucks. In my case, like I think it was a $500 policy, right? Because it was such a long experience and it covered me globally. But like I got, I mean, where was I? I got really sick in India, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had bronchitis and, you know, if you had that kind of sickness, you're just like laying in bed, think you're going to die. You're not going to die. But I'm like in India. I mean, I was with friends. I mean, I had like, for me as a, you know, an avid traveler, experienced traveler, I wasn't worried, but I, you know, there were thoughts in my mind. I was like, what if this gets real bad? Like what if, you know, what's going to happen when I have to go to the hospital here, you know, and thinking about, you know, for my own personal well-being is like, what's next? But I had that and I could call a global line for free and say, hey, I'm in India, bronchitis. What, what, what are my options? What should I do? They could refer me to like, um, you know, hospitals that are, you know, to Western standards, all these things, you know, so it's really great, even just as like a backup, like security, like I feel good. So I'm sorry to believe would belabor that point, but get your travel insurance. No, really I think important. that is, that is the kind of nitty gritty information we are looking for here at what yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are like, how do I market my retreat? And you know, all those things and I'm like, yeah, well, um, I could tell you about those things, but this is like the real important stuff. And then the last thing is, is much more nitty gritty again. And I would say, um, uh, it's called, I would call it relying on the subsidy model. And so <laughs> this is like coming back again to the study abroad world. So most study abroad companies, most study abroad offices on a university campus, you know, as, as you know, you're a traveler, um, you know, the cost of living, the cost of doing business around the world is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Going to London versus going to rural Thailand, those experiences cost a lot of 
different levels of money. <laughs> um, and so delivering uh, travel experiences in both of those places are dramatically different as well. So a student can spend $25,000 to be in London um, and the back end is actually quite expensive as well. So it might cost the company, let's say $15,000 to actually deliver it. That's the cost of doing business. Whereas in Thailand, the cost of delivering that same program, same number of courses, you know, comparable housing, all the things might only cost $3,000. Uh, but because they don't want to, you know, like, when from a marketing forward-facing point of view, they don't want to have that such a disparity of pricing. They'll like lower, you know, the London cost right mm-hmm. a little bit to make it affordable, but they'll jack up the Thailand price to make it comparable. It still won't be as expensive as London. So the you know retail price for Thailand experience might be fifteen, and the retail experience for London might be twenty. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like it's a big difference, but still not massive. But what's happening is that Thailand ends up subsidizing London. Sorry to belabor that point, but you have to understand the content for it. So that's how most study abroad companies, that's how they stay in business and and how on the front face it's like, oh, we have destinations and 250 billion places around the world. They don't really because um, they, they do have them, but mo- they know where most of their students are going to. And like Barcelona will subsidize everything else because they have massive amounts of students going there. Anyway, I'm belaboring this. I'm sorry. But the point is, is I... I had that mindset because I worked for study abroad companies and I thought like, well, I could offer these 18 retreats over the next 18 months in these different places around the world. I know that the pricing needs to be relatively comparable, Mm -hmm. but I know that my, my delivery costs are going to be dramatically different in Italy, for instance, versus Thailand. Um, so I started thinking in that subsidy model. The problem is, is that because I, I was still kind of new to this type of travel marketing, I didn't know the tried and true way to like get butts and seats just yet. And so um, when Italy, for instance, didn't happen, I was like, oh, crap, like the money from there was supposed to subsidize it, you know, like moving the money all around. So now I'm always like every individual experience needs to subsidize itself. Basically, it has to be its own budget. It can't go into like the pool of travel events. So I'd say for any kind of event planning, um, you know, I have a friend who has a company where she does a big um, summit, like a conference every year. Well, it's, it definitely subsidizes the rest of her business, but in, um, you know, she had in the last few years, she's run into some issues where, um, you know, she didn't get enough sponsors to like get, hit that number. She needed to subsidize the business the rest of the year and all these things. So always keep it in its own silo. I just highly recommend until you get a tried and true model and you have this massive audience that's like knows you wants to do in-person events. That's what you are known for until that happened. And until I could make that happen for me at Yoga Travel Tree, I switched that very quickly. Um, And so everything became its own, but it was always its own budget, I should say. But um, I didn't like have in the back of my mind, like, well, I'll make up that, you know, over here. Yeah. Right. Like with this retreat and things like that. So that was like another kind of initial mistake I made, but I course corrected quickly because I will tell you, I've never lost money on a travel experience, like a group travel experience I've organized. That's incredible. So, well, Brooke, we need to start wrapping up here. Uh, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I could, I literally could keep talking to you about this all day long because I think that, like I said, there's just so many logistics and things that oh, can, can be so overwhelming. But I think you've really given us a good um, overview of kind of how we need to approach things, how we need to to look at things. But also, I love some of the nitty gritty stuff that you've shared that I just would not have even 
considered um, or could could have easily written off uh, myself. So mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for that. But I do want to give a, a, just one final question, which is I want to hear a little bit more about the new business that you're starting with mm-hmm. Brazenest and maybe how events are going to play into that business. Yeah, thank you. And well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Again, like I said, it's a big honor to even be on the show and getting to talk to you. I've been a huge fan for creeping you online (laughs) for quite a while. So this is really cool. A full circle moment for me. But um, so Brazenest, yes, is my new company. And I feel like I this is not a good sign that I've been having to spell it for people, but it's brazen, the word brazen, B-R-A-Z-E-N, and then I-S-T. So think like a specialist at being brazen, right? Like a sociologist, something like that. And based at what brazenest is and going to be, and hopefully by the time this, and not hopefully, it will happen, but when you, this episode airs, it'll be up and running so you guys can come check it out and see if I actually delivered on my promise here. But um, it's sort of bringing together my sort of zones of genius and the things I found most enjoyable and most successful for me in the various companies and projects I've launched over the last several years and bringing them under kind of one branding umbrella, like from a a technical point of view for you from getting the nitty gritty, I'm just exhausted by having three companies. Let's be real. Um, And I've kind of lost my mojo and passion in in some ways for this sort of the study abroad space and the yoga space. I love them. I'm very passionate about it. I want your daughter to study abroad. I want everyone to study abroad. I want everyone to do yoga, but I don't necessarily know I want my business Mm -hmm. to be focused on those things. Um, But I do know I do have, you know, a skill set and an experience level that a lot of people don't have when it comes to group travel experiences. And in terms of like launching, taking an idea and something that's keeping up at night and getting it off the ground. Those are things I have done quite a bit and um, can help people with. So Brazenest is all about giving people the audacity to go after that thing that they want to do. And so from a business point of view, from a career point of view, I want people to feel like I, I want to be senior vice president or CEO of, of a company in my space. How do I make that happen? I want to launch a company and be able to travel the world and do whatever I want, whatever I want, that kind of you know dream model, right? Um, and, and so I'm launching an accelerator that's going to help people like figure out what their most brazen goal is and then reverse engineer it to make it happen. Um, and so it's a very like high touch mastermind kind of coaching model, if mm-hmm. you will, um, with technical trainings, obviously. But and then the other piece is sort of taking this retreat idea, this group in-person tribe kind of in-person connection I see people wanting and creating retreats around that as well, except they're very focused on um, some kind of objective and looking at uh, building out a personal brand for your career to grow your career and or for a brand branded business or for your brand if you are the business. Um, So it's all about like branding and how do you get their message out there to the world. So they're going to be sort of like week-long boot camps focused on a very um, specific goal in mind. And I'm going to be offering those all over the world. So come travel with me. It's going to be great. <laughs> and uh, um, and and we'll get to know each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited. I'm going to launch a podcast with Tara is going to be a guest on. So come check her story out about when she feels most brazen. And there's going to be like a YouTube channel and all the crazy media stuff. But I'm really excited about it. And I'm mostly excited to like be able to one, talk about stuff I'm really passionate about, which my two businesses technically in those spaces, like doesn't make sense for me to talk about like growing mm-hmm. a business, all these things, because that's not what they do. Um, and I'm really excited to 
go in this new direction. And the other two things are going away in various capacities. So uh, those will be gone. So come get your fix if you hear this before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very exciting times for you, it sounds like. Uh, Brooke, I am Mm -hmm. so thankful for your perspective on hosting events, giving us a a look at what Brazenist uh, is going to be doing and uh, just telling us more and sharing like clearly how passionate you are about travel and taking time to explore and adventure. And I just, I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Find out more about Brooke Roberts at brazenest.com and follow her adventures on Instagram where she's at the new Dorothy. And you can find the Brazenest podcast wherever you listen to what works. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 220 more candid conversations with small business owners like Brooke at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>